we're getting ready to have a live session. It's Billy Holiday. So I don't play jazz. I'm not a swinger. My good friend Jason Crane. Now it's jazz. Now it's jazz. Now it's now it's now it's jazz. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is a jazz interview podcast. It's more than just music. It's lives and stories of the people who play, write about, and love jazz. It's also more than a podcast. When you visit the show's website at thejazzsession.com, you'll find interviews, live jazz news, the Jazz Session store, where you can find all the albums by our guests, and links to other jazz sites. The site also features a link to Bloggers for a Cure, a collective effort by several music bloggers to raise money for cystic fibrosis research. For the month of May, you can donate to the cause and be entered to win great prizes, including CD boxed sets, DVDs, autographed and limited edition CDs, and a whole lot more. Just follow the Bloggers for a Cure link at thejazzsession.com. And thanks in advance for helping out. On this week's show, my guest is percussionist, composer, band leader, and educator Bobby Sanabria. His new album on Jazzhead's Records is called Big Band Urban Folk Tales. It opens with a bang with this tune, 57th Street Mambo. My guest is Bobby Sanabria, percussionist, composer, band leader, educator. He's got a new recording out on Jazzheads called Big Band Urban Folk Tales. It's a follow-up to Quartetto Ache, a small group record that he put out a few years ago. Before that came the Grammy-nominated Afro-Cuban Big Band recording live and in clave. And it's my pleasure to welcome the Bronx's own Bobby Sanabria to the show. Welcome, Bobby. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I want to start off uh, talking a little bit about the Bronx. When uh, when people think of Afro-Cuban music, 
in the United States and, you know, kind of since the 50s on, they often think of New York City. But it seems like we can get even more specific than that and, and take it right into the Bronx. Will you t- tell us a little bit about why the Bronx is so important to the development and then the, the continuation of this music? Well, the Bronx at one time had more nightclubs, catering halls, dance halls, etc., than Manhattan. So there was a vibrant, incredible scene in the Bronx for Latin music in general, particularly Afro-Cuban-based music. And the uh, Puerto Rican community became very large there, in the, particularly in the South Bronx, as they started migrating from um, uh, South Brooklyn and Spanish Harlem, which is on the east side in Manhattan. You, you can almost follow the migratory pattern by looking at uh, the subway lines and how they came from Manhattan and Brooklyn into the Bronx. So uh, there was an incredible scene. Many jazz clubs existed also in the Bronx. It was a, a very vital jazz scene. In fact, there's a, a documentary that I was involved in that I was a co-producer called From Mambo to Hip Hop, a South Bronx tale that deals with this incredible history that's uh, currently being shown on PBS, and that'll be also available in around September on, on DVD. So I encourage your listeners and readers to, to check it out when it comes out. Just to, to stick on the history for another minute or two, why is it that the Puerto Rican community was so instrumental in keeping Afro-Cuban music alive in the United States? How, how did that become almost their, <laughs> their task? Someone was going to do it, and it was the Puerto Rican community that did it. It's funny. I, I, I myself wanted to find answers to that, you know, uh, and I started getting them when I, when I did the uh, Mambo Kings soundtrack uh, many years ago, that, that movie, The Mambo Kings, I was involved uh, as one of the musicians, and many of the great older musicians were involved also on that soundtrack, particularly one, Jose Mangual Sr., who is a great bongo player with the Machido Orchestra for many, many, many years, the Machido Afro-Cubans. We were talking about that, and he goes, well, when I was growing up in Puerto Rico, all I listened to was Cuban music and I, on the radio. I asked him, why was that? He goes, well, that's what we listened to because there weren't many radio stations in Puerto Rico at the time. So when you put on the radio, you mostly heard Radio Progreso, Radio CMQ, Radio CMQ, coming directly from Havana, who had these huge 20,000-watt radio stations that transmitted uh, all over the Caribbean, all the way to Central and South America, and even it could be heard in, in Texas, in the United States. So radio had a big, big thing to do with uh, the relationship between the Puerto Rican community on the island, and of course, they when they migrated to New York City in massive numbers in the 1940s and 50s, they brought that listening tradition with them. And of course, the bands that they saw here in New York City, the, the main band that they saw was the Machito Afro-Cubans, which was the band that uh, was responsible for creating Afro-Cuban jazz under the musical direction of Mario Balzar. Mira, mira, tanca, 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 t
que mira, mira, mira tanga, bailando la tanga, 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 being involved in Afro-Cuban music because uh, obviously uh, I was uh, Mario's uh, drummer with his orchestra, great orchestra for many, many years and playing with Mongo Santa Maria. And of course, the person who did the most for Afro-Cuban music, uh, the great Puerto Rican uh, timbalero, the great New York Rican timbalero composer, arranger, uh, dancer, raconteur, bon vivant, maestro Tito Puente. Mario Balzada always said the person that has done the most for Afro-Cuban music has been uh, Tito Puente. Now, you just brought up an important point. Uh, I can edit this out if you want, but in a couple weeks you're going to be 50, right? It's going to be your birthday, right? Is that right? That's right, June 2nd, and so, 1957. So, I mean, that means you're still a young guy, and now you're talking about having played in a band that connects pretty much all the way back to the beginning of the Afro-Cuban jazz tradition here in at least in New York. Mm-hmm. Um it's that's pretty amazing. I mean, you're not when you're talking about being part of the tradition, you're not saying that in the way, you know, a 23-year-old sax player says I'm part of Bird's tradition. You you actually mean you were in those bands with these guys that we're talking about. I mean, you've played with everybody. Right, I've been very fortunate. I mean, uh, I've played with basically everybody that's and recorded with everybody that that created this genre. Uh, Mario Balza, obviously uh, the father of the tradition. Um, uh, Chico O'Farrell, the great composer and arranger, who was the first to uh, write extended works using the, uh, the rhythms of, from uh, Cuba, but in a big band setting. Uh, Maestro Tito Puente, Ray Barreto, um Paquito de Rivera. Um, I mean, you name it, I've, I've played with them and, re- and recorded with them. And Dizzy Gillespie also, I mean, the acknowledged father of bebop along with uh, with Charlie Parker. I feel very fortunate and proud, and uh, I always uh, turn to those people for inspiration in, in whatever I do. And what, that's what's the great thing about this new work with uh, the big band Irvin Folktales record, because it, in the uh, previous big band record we did, Live and Enclave, what I wanted to do was bring the tradition of the three great orchestras, Tito Puentes Orchestra, the Machito Afro-Cubans, and Tito Rodriguez, the great vocalist, those three orchestras, which are the archetypes of this tradition. I wanted to bring that up to the contemporary standards and, and bring it into the 21st century. With, with this new record, we've expanded upon that and gone beyond the 21st century. Very, very proud of it. Let's talk about this new record and starting off by talking about some of the people who are on it. So if you if you yourself are intimately connected to the beginnings of the tradition because of your performances uh, with the folks you just mentioned, then I'm guessing it must be cool for people like the piano player in your band, who's a younger guy, to have kind of you as that touchstone. I mean, so now he's got a direct connection to the root because he's getting a chance to play in your band and expand on his vocabulary. Is that... Do you think that's the case? Are you passing it on? Oh, of course, of course. To, to use that whole corny cliche of the circle of life or whatever, it's like the circle of music. As the tradition was passed on to me, I pass it on uh, to the next generation. And I mean, I do that in a very, very direct uh, way uh, through my uh, teaching at the uh, New School uh, Universities in the Jazz and Contemporary Music Program there at the New School and also at the Manhattan School of Music where I teach really the only two authentic Afro-Cuban jazz 
orchestras on the uh, on the college university level. The great thing about the concerts that we do, the the majority of the audiences are always young people, so they get turned on to the music, and they're always coming up to Mr. Sonabri, Mr. Sonabri, where can I hear this music? And the sad part is that, uh, as as you know, uh, Jason, jazz radio leaves much to be desired today because there isn't that much jazz radio uh, on the airwaves. So it's important for you know this uh, show that you have and and others similar to it, uh, the print media, etc. It's important that we get the message out there for young people to get involved in this music, which really represents the best of what we are as a society. It's America's greatest art form. People from all over the world come to study it, yet the average 16-year-old kid walking down the street, if you ask them, are they into jazz, they wouldn't know who Dizzy Gillespie is, Charlie Parker, Duke Ellington. I consider what I do very, very, very serious, especially on the teaching end. One of the things about this new record, Big Band Urban Folk Tales, is that the the music on it comes from a lot of different sources, not only members of your band, but also uh, a couple unperformed, previously unrecorded pieces uh, by Hermelo Pascual, and then you know one of the one of the all time great uh, Afro Cuban composers, Frank Zappa, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk a little bit about uh, how you chose to do uh, the Grand Wazoo. Well, I've I've always been into Grant, I mean, into Frank Zappa and his music. Uh, I first became familiar with him. There was a great show on TV many years ago, uh, Dick Cavett, the Dick Cavett show. It would come on at at eleven thirty at night, and uh, I also used to flip back and forth between that and the uh, Johnny Carson Tonight Show because both the both shows had bands, big bands, and on the commercial breaks they would play. I had a TV in my room and I. Would, you know, I would keep the sound low so my parents wouldn't hear that I was still up. Also, at that time, I used to uh, see the David Frost show, which would come on at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, Mike Douglas was in the, on in the afternoons. All these TV shows that I'm mentioning, for your lo- young listeners, what was great about them, they had bands. But not like the type of bands that you say today, like on David Letterman or other shows. These were primarily big bands. You know, with full saxophone sections, trombone sections, and trumpet sections. So it was really exciting on the commercial breaks to see these 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 bands on these sh- shows. And they had incredible drummers, too, like the Dick Cavett Show had Bobby Rosengarten as their drummer and musical director. Uh, Johnny Carson Tonight Show had Ed Shaughnessy with an incredibly massive, huge double bass drum kit with like four tom-toms. I remember I was impressed that he had like three music stands, four music stands. Uh, and some impressive uh, facial hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those big mutton chops. That's right. Uh, and then uh, Grady Tate was the drummer for David Frost. Oh, was he really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And occasionally, um, you know, sometimes different players would sub in these bands for whatever reason. I remember watching the Johnny Carson show once, and Billy Cobham was subbing for, uh, for Ed Shaughnessy. I mean, incredible, you know, the... The musicianship on these shows. So on the Dick Cavett show one night, I see this guy. Dick Cavett introduces him as the ugliest man in America, you know? <laughs> and and it's Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. <laughs> so I go, holy, you know what? And uh, anyway, I, I started getting curious about him and, and checking out his records. And, and in college, uh, I really got into him, especially this one album 
called the Grand Wazoo in that one particular tune. So I always said, man, I'd like to do some of his music and adapt it to a big band, but utilizing Afro-Cuban rhythms. Cuban jazz, because Frank, to my knowledge, never got involved in any kind of ethnic types of things, uh, other than if you want to call R&B music, you know, something ethnic, which it is from the black community. He was uh, prolific in terms of his his historical knowledge of R&B and blues, but he never got involved in in Latin rhythms in any kind of capacity or anything like that. I think toward the end of his life, he um, was going to do collaborate with something on something with the Chieftains, that group from Ireland. But uh, alas, it, it never happened. So I'm kind of th- thinking that he's listening up in heaven and really, really smiling because uh, one of the things I loved about Zappa and, and I love, well, I love about him is his, uh, his unique way of combining, you know, funkiness and, and re- intelligence uh, and humor in his music. And in this piece, we added the, 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 the exciting rhythmic element of Afro-Cuban rhythms and also some Dominican uh, rhythms, too, because uh, at one point in the, in the piece, it switches uh, to uh, merengue from the Dominican Republic. So uh, it's a combination of the blues, shuffle, bembe, which is a rhythm that comes directly from West Africa, from Nigeria, that was brought to Cuba in, in 6-8. And we show the relationship of that, the connection between jazz rhythm and West African rhythm. When you hear it, that combination in the opening of the piece, then there's obviously some orchestral elements. Then it switches to to uh, son montuno, cha cha cha. Then it goes to uh, merengue, and then it goes all out to you know like a church revival where uh, David de Jesus, in the role of the Cletus Oritus Oritus, the mythical figure that Frank Zappa created, plays the, the Grand Wazoo's uh, mystery horn and uh, his symbolic battle against the forces of jive and junk as the jazz musician uh, battles constantly in, in this world today. <laughs>
that entire history of the world of music can be yours in about uh, what is it about six and a half minutes I mean what the stuff that you've just the the, the rhythmic complexity that you've just laid out I, I'm gonna say for the the average person who's listening to this show you've probably just name checked seven or eight rhythmic styles that most people have never heard of and I think it really points to how diverse and complex and rich this tradition is that in in the course of one six minute tune y- you can cover you know rhythms and uh, and musical traditions from eight nine different cultures. I mean, it's just a it's it's an amazing thing to think about how much music there is out there to discover for the average listener. Right, right. Well, that's the one unique thing about this big band, the rhythmic knowledge that we have, um, and to to play this music to do it correctly, you really have to have players that have uh, lived that tradition in some aspect and, and, and have played it so that uh, you can really understand the, the you really have to understand the vocabulary and also not, the, not only the vocabulary of those traditions but of our traditions here in the United States in terms of uh, black music particularly jazz and funk and R&B I remember somebody asked me once, well, man, how does a Puerto Rican guy from New York like you get involved in Frank Zappa, and I go, I started laughing. Why not, man? I grew up in this country. You know, I mean, there's there's the answer. I mean, and the person I have to thank for that is my father because uh, he has very uh, eclectic taste in the sense that uh, you can consider it eclectic, but it's really a natural kind of a thing because he just would listen to music in in a lazy boy chair. He would sit in because it would take him two hours to get to work. He worked as a machinist in Long Island, so he had to take several trains to get the hell out there from the South Bronx and then come back. My mother used to tell me, leave your father alone when he comes home because he's going to be very tired. He's going to eat, and then he's going to sit in that chair and just listen to music. So I would be in the living room doing my homework while he's there listening, so I would listen to what he would listen to, and he would listen to everything from Sergio Mendez in Brazil 66 to the music of my roots in Puerto Rico, Hibaro music, uh, that's folkloric music from the country's mountainside in Puerto Rico, to um, music from bullfighting music from Spain, to the current pop music uh, of the day. And, uh, and, you know, I remember he, <laughs> the day that he bought Sex Machine by James Brown, and he put it on. And I had known about it from, you know, just being in the hood. But I was kind of surprised my father got that record, and I asked him, why did you buy this record, you know? And he goes, why not? It's good music. So there's your answer. When did being a professional musician begin to seem like a realistic career choice for you? Well, when I was about 12 years old, a kind of series of epiphanies happened for me. I saw Tito Puente perform in front of the projects I grew up in, uh, which was 681 Cortland Avenue, uh, East 153rd Street. In South Bronx and the Murrows projects right there. Those were really uh, sour times in the South Bronx because the Bronx was burning, which is something that this documentary that I co-produced uh, from Mambo to Hip Hop touches upon, why the South Bronx became the symbol of urban decay. It's too complex really to talk about, but mainly it was because the main reason was because Robert Moses built the Cross Bronx Expressway and the Bruckner Expressway, and that displaced the whole middle-class community that was in the South Bronx at one time. And it sent the South Bronx into an economic tailspin. The one thing that kept everybody alive was the music at the time. You have to understand, Jason, that in the summertime, 
two things would happen the first day it would get warm in the South Bronx. You'd hear the sound of the Mr. Softy truck, the jingle of this uh, ice cream company, Mr. Softy, that has, if anybody that grow, has grown up in New York knows, these trucks come out all throughout the city, and they have a particular jingle that, uh, that is, uh, everybody recognizes right away so that you know the truck is in, in your neighborhood so you can come out and buy ice cream. You'd hear that jingle, and the other thing that you would hear was the sound of Cuban rumba, guaguanco, in the parks. You'd hear the clave, and all of a sudden, uniting factor for the community was the time of the civil rights movement, the time of people, uh, especially in the New York Puerto Ricans, you know, looking for their identity. They found it in Cuban music and what became known as salsa. Uh, although the city was going bankrupt, they would occasionally throw little concerts in, in the different neighborhoods. I, so I guess so, sort of to keep the, the whole concept, keep the the natives that are restless, entertained with music, you know. And one of those concerts was Tito Puente's orchestra, the Machito Orchestra, and Ricardo Ray and Bobby Q Cruz's orchestra playing in the neighborhood. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, you're a little kid, you're watching this band play, and the mighty Tito Puente, who, t uh, those of you listeners who know, Tito Puente was not a very tall man, but he was a giant amongst men when he played the timbales and he's directing his orchestra and the first tune that he plays is a song called Para Los Sombreros. <laughs> showcase for his virtuosity on the timbales. 
And when the saxophones would stand up to do the mambo background lines, you know, to launch the orchestra into orbit, I mean, uh, it was it was something very, very incredible for a young man. Uh, I was 12 years old. I saw that. I was holy, you know, whatever. And and then I saw Buddy Rich on TV on the uh, Johnny Carson Tonight Show. And I also heard, heard Cal Jader's great group on the radio, the great vibe Harpist from uh, from the West Coast, and Willie Bobo was the timbala player and jazz drummer in that band, and Mongo Santa Maria, who I also got to record and play for, was in that band. So that was the uh, the epiphany right there, and I said, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Well, Bobby, it's uh, the the album is fantastic, and it's been a real pleasure having this chance to talk with you. And I, I hope you'll come back again because I have a feeling that uh, we could fill a lot of shows uh, talking about this great music. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity to share, and I hope everybody checks out the uh, the recording. They can get it right away from uh, jazzheads dot com. And June fifth, it'll be uh, available everywhere on all the different websites, and uh, you'll be hearing it soon all over the place on the airwaves. And uh, there's also a big uh, story that I touch upon all of the things we spoke about in Downbeat Magazine, the July issue, so your listeners can check that out also. That's El Ache de Sanabria en Moderación from Bobby Sanabrio's new CD, Big Band, Urban Folk Tales. My thanks to Bobby Sanabria for appearing on this week's show. 
Till next time, you've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. Please visit the show's website at thejazzsession.com where you'll find interviews, live jazz news, a store with CDs by all the artists who appear on the show, and links to other jazz sites. You'll also find a link to subscribe to the show. If you can, please try to subscribe via iTunes. It's free, and it just guarantees that you'll always have the most recent episode waiting for you on your computer or in your MP3 player whenever you want it. In May, the site also features a link to Bloggers for a Cure, a collective effort by several music bloggers to raise money for cystic fibrosis research. By clicking on the link and donating, you can be entered to win great prizes, including box sets of CDs, DVDs, autographed and limited edition CDs, and more. Just follow the Bloggers for a Cure link. I write interviews and reviews for AllAboutJazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. I've got several coming up in the month of June. If you'd like to contact The Jazz Session, you can send an email to jason at thejazzsession.com or call 585-473-5304. You can also join the mailing list, which you'll find at thejazzsession.com, and when you join, you'll get periodic updates about the guests who appear on the show, plus some other news from the jazz world, and no spam. The theme music for this show is by The Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thank you very much for listening. Remember to support live jazz wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.